you're doing the best job, money's going to come to you. He said, when opportunity comes, take it. Don't be afraid. Then he added, always be sincere, never forget your friends, and life is a hairline. Hi, everybody. I have a really special male guest today, Eustace Wolfington. Eustace is 85 years old. He and his late wife, Marcy, had 10 children, 33 grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. Eustace is one of the most renowned innovators in the history of the car industry. Eustace tells us a story of how he revolutionized the car industry with his company, Half a Car. His concept was to have the customer finance or lease half of the vehicle's price, then after two years, the dealer would take the car back and resell the vehicle for the depreciated price. I know it's a little complex, so to put it in simpler terms, if you lease a car today, it is because of Hughes Wolfington. The Hughes invented this concept in the 1960s, but it took nearly 20 years for the rest of the world to catch on to Hughes' idea, given that at that time, the majority of the world was much more familiar with the concept of purchasing a car at full price. Although many people told Hughes to give up, he persevered and his half-a-car theory was adopted by Ford in 1982 and eventually by the rest of the car industry as a whole. From 1982 to 2000, Hughes' half-a-car concept expanded to over 18 countries with more than 4,000 dealerships in the system. In 2000, he sold the company for approximately $200 million. Throughout our conversation, Yus not only tells us his inspirational entrepreneurial story, but also feeds us with an extraordinary amount of wisdom that you will be able to apply to your everyday life. I hope you enjoy his story as much as I did. Welcome, Uncle Yus, to High Five Success Stories. Well, thank you. Thank you, Steph. It's a pleasure. I'm excited to have you here, and you're right behind your sister, Marty. So. Well, that's that's I brought her I brought her the other way, but that's okay. She's a hard act to follow. <laughs> um, but no, thank you again. And so I thought we'd start out by having you provide us a little bit of background on how you got into the car industry, however many years ago it was. Well, actually, I was born into the car industry. Mm-hmm. My great grandfather started building carriages. Uh, my grandfather started building car bodies, and then they started manufacturing cars. Uh, the depression killed building cars. Mm-hmm. And we became car dealers. Okay. Uh, so when I was 10 years old, I was working in a body shop for my grandfather. Okay. So I kind of grew up in the business. And what year is that? Well, I, you, that would have been, born? I was born in 1932. Okay. So that was right during the war in 1942, 40, 43, mm-hmm. that I was working okay. in the, in, you know, as a young kid. So you're 84. And I'm, right? I'm 85 now. 85. Okay. Now. Sorry. I'm closer to 86. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's how I got into the car business. Okay. And, the, and then the... Along the way, my father uh, got involved in a hotel in Avalon, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and we named it the White Briar. It became a family business. Oh, I didn't know you guys owned that first. Yeah, we started it. So I was, uh, at the time, 18, mm-hmm. and my father made me the mater d'. I really got to love the hotel business. Mm-hmm. I read a book <clears throat> by Conrad Hilton mm-hmm. that convinced me that I wanted to make my life the hotel business. I was drafted in the service in the middle of one summer and was taken away from my my driving love, you know, mm-hmm. the hotel business at yeah. the time. Uh, except it was a seasonal business. So I had to have a more year-round business. So when I came out of the service, which was 1953, okay. uh, well, probably 1955, I went in 1953, uh, my father died two months later. And when my father died, I went into the, that's when I started to sell in the family car business. Okay. And I got married. Mm-hmm. But I drifted away from the hotel business. I didn't get back to. I still ran the White Briar in the summer. Okay. But I was now more committed to the. How old were you at that point? 
I was 20, I got out of the service, I was, I was 20 when I went in, I was 22 when I came out. Okay. So, 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 so I went from the, uh, I, I was full steam back in the car business. I was working for my uncle. Mm-hmm. What happened was that I was no longer an owner because my father died, they all got the stock. Okay. So I wasn't a son working in a father's business, I was, right. I was a regular employee. Okay. And I wanted to have my own dealership. After two years of working with my uncle, mm-hmm. I told the factory I wanted my own dealership. And they said, well, there's a little dealership in Ambler, but you don't have any money. And I didn't. I didn't have a nickel. But all the banks had seen the job I did working for my uncle. Okay. And they were willing to give me a line of credit for cars. Okay. So I got into the car business literally with no money. Okay. I had $25,000, $10,000 I borrowed from my mother, mm-hmm. fifteen from the bank. Okay. Ten went to pay for the furniture. Fifteen went to pay for the parts. Mm-hmm. I opened a business, a car business, with no money. Did you have kids at that point? Hmm? Did you have any kids at I that point? I had three children. You did? I had three children. Yeah. Uh, and the reason <clears throat> I took that chance, to back into another little principle, uh, my father, when I was at Notre Dame, I wrote my father a letter. And I said, Dear Daddy, tell me how to be a success in life. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote me back one of the few letters we ever, ever exchanged. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't know what you're going to do in life, but I'll give you eight things that if you do them, you'll be a success. Mm-hmm. He said, stay close to God. Okay. Always be nice to old people. Mm-hmm. He said, whatever job you do in life, do it better than anybody else. He said, never worry about money. <clears throat> if you're doing the best job, money's going to come to you. He said, when opportunity comes, take it. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid. Then he added, always be sincere. Never forget your friends. And life is a hairline. Okay. You could be on either side of the hairline. Okay. Depending on how it breaks, breaks well for you. So and that means success and failure are close to one another. So you can never get Exactly. To... Exactly. It's a hairline. It's a hairline. You can okay. walk down the street one day and yeah. meet the right guy. You walk down the street and meet the wrong guy. Okay. <clears throat> you can marry the wrong girl, marry the right girl. Okay. And it's a hairline. Yeah. That could affect your life. Right. But, but the fifth principle is what made me go in business. <clears throat> what made me go in business for myself was my father said, when opportunity comes, take it. So even though I had no money, I had the opportunity to have my own business. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I had always worked in a business because I know I can tell you that the most important thing in business, which is priceless, is experience. Okay. And whatever young people do and whatever anybody does, whatever experience you have, somewhere along the line, it'll come to help you. I don't care if it's shoveling sidewalks, doing dishes in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, that experience will come to help you. Okay. Uh, some lesson you'll get out of it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I had my first dealership in Ambler. Uh, I worked my way up, and two years later, I bought a Chevrolet dealership okay. in Roxborough. Uh, again, that was an interesting experience because, again, I didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. How many kids do you have at this point? At this time, I'm probably, I know, I know at this time I'm four, maybe the fifth. Okay. Uh, probably four and the fifth on the way. Okay. You know? And how old are you at this point? Like 30s? Uh, I'm 28. Okay, wow. No, no, it's 28. I'm 30 with the Chevrolet dealership. I was okay. 28 at the Plymouth dealership, and I'm 30 at the uh, at the Chevrolet dealership. Mm-hmm. And then one day, a customer walked in. Mm-hmm. It's Jack Flanagan. Okay. Like you probably know Tim Flanagan, his son. Okay. He wanted to buy a car, and I gave him the price on a car, gave him mm-hmm. the payment. Yeah. He said, I can't afford it. I gave him the price on a, a lower price car. He said, I can afford that. And I said, well, Jack, that's not a good buy. The more expensive cars, I'm going to depreciate 3000 that lower price car, which is $1,000 lower, is going to appreciate 5000 Right. He said, Eustace, the bank doesn't know that. All the bank knows is I pay a selling price, I get a payment. Okay. So I said, 
it hit me like a ton of bricks. That the biggest ripoff in America was the man in the street only mm-hmm. had one way to get a car. Okay. The banks would only buy them one way. They wouldn't approve them for leasing of any kind. Yeah. And that was pay selling price. And, and once I saw that, then all of a sudden I start to see all the bad things that were happening in the car business because of that. Right. Uh, dealers were ordering stripped down cars because stripped down cars had the lowest payment. Mm-hmm. But they had the worst resale. Mm-hmm. So customers were driving around without air conditioning. I don't want to get technical here, but air conditioning used to cost you four hundred dollars. Okay. On resale, it was worth five hundred. Wow. So, on a leasing concept, you only paid depreciation. Mm-hmm. You got air conditioning for nothing. Right. But because people had to pay price only, mm-hmm. they couldn't have air. Okay. They, they they couldn't have electric windows. Right. They couldn't have all these things that didn't cost anything because of resale value. Right. Probably a little confusing, so I won't go into it. It's but, okay. But the. Uh, uh, so I decided right then and there, I said, why can't people buy depreciation? Why do they have to focus on price? Mm-hmm. I always like to give the example of basketball. When you're a basketball player and you're right-handed, you drive off your left foot. When you're left-handed, you drive off your right foot. Right. Well, in the car business, everybody was driving off the resale foot. I mean, off the, off the, off the selling price foot. Right. I decided I was going to drive off the resale foot. So I changed my whole marketing. Okay. When customers walked in, They'd walk up to a car, they'd see a price, the true cost of this car is, okay. and I would have the difference between the sell- price of that car and what it was going to be worth at trading time. Okay. And they'd go to one car, the real expensive car, and they'd see the true cost was 3000 They'd go to the cheaper car and see the true cost was 5000 They'd say, how's this work? Yeah. And of course, I explained it to them. And I did very well, except there was nowhere to finance that. Can you give us an example? So, like, let's say I want to buy a Ford Explorer. Right. And it's $40,000. Right. How would your system with the... How well, would that work then? Well, what I would show you, if you're going to buy a Ford Explorer, mm-hmm. I would say, Steph, now, here's the Ford Explorer, $40,000. You're going to put down $10,000. Okay. You're going to finance thirty. Here's what it's going to cost you for whatever term you want. Okay. 36 months, 48 months, 60 mm-hmm. months. And then I'd say, but oh, we have another way of getting a car, Steph. Which, well, you don't have to pay for the whole car. Mm. It's the same, it's the same $40,000. It's the same $10,000 down. Okay. It's the same $30,000 bounce, except here's where we begin. We're going to subtract, and, and a $40,000 car in that case would have had a residual of 60%. Uh, so we would have said, we're going to subtract $24,000 okay. from that $30,000. You're only going to have to pay us $6,000. Okay. Now, two, now, two years from now, if you love the car, We'll let you buy it for the twenty six thousand we deducted. Right. So it could never cost you more. Right. However, two years from now, because we have an energy crisis, which could easily happen, mm-hmm. and the car is now only worth now only worth uh, twenty thousand. Okay. You can walk away from it. We'll take the loss. Okay. You're free. You're never yeah. out, you're never out of equity. Right. Or if you if you want to sell it to somebody, mm-hmm. you can sell it to somebody, and whatever you get over that price, you get all the equity. Okay. So you get the best of ownership, without the bad part of ownership. Right. If you bought the car, and plus the fact your payments will be the same for 24 months as they would be for 48 months. Okay. So you're only locking yourself in for a commitment for half the car. Half the car, okay. Okay, so. And what's the benefit to you guys, the, the dealership? Well, the benefit is that they sold a car. Okay. Because what would happen, Ford Credit would give the dealership his check for 40000 Okay. And your deals with your deals with Ford Credit. Mm-hmm. That's who you, okay. you make your payments to. That's the, so you. The, right. all, the, all the dealer does in a leasing transaction is sell you the car. Okay. You're buying, you're not buying the whole car. I see what you're saying, But yeah. your deals with Ford Credit, not with okay. the dealer. 
Okay. The $40,000 is your deal with the dealer. Okay. Okay. So it's a very simple concept. So anyway, so. So Uncle Use, just so I have an understanding, because it can get a little complex for people who aren't familiar with the car industry, uh, you had a concept called half a car. And that was to have the customer finance or lease half the vehicle's price. Then after two years, the dealer would take the car back and resell the vehicle for the depreciated price. Okay, so you developed this concept in the 1960s, but it wasn't until 1980 that you were able to present the idea to Ford Motor Company. And then in 1982, they bought into your revolutionary idea. And based on my research, um, I did read an article from the 1980s that actually called your idea one of the most competitive edge concepts that was ever developed in the history of the car industry. So backing up a little bit, my question for you is how in the world did you get this meeting, you know, this opportunity to present your idea to Ford in 1980? Your uncle, an Avalon one day, Mm -hmm. and I'm walking down the street and I see Jerry Mellon. Okay. I say, hi, I'm Jerry. And we start talking. Mm-hmm. And he said, my nephew's coming in from Ford this weekend. Okay. Uh, or he's coming in. I said, when's he coming in? He said, in well, two weeks. I said, will you call me when he comes in? Because I have an idea that I think will revolutionize the Ford Motor Company. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, Sherry called me two weeks. Everything in my life is two weeks. Okay. two weeks with Yagen, two weeks here. Yeah. Uh, it's another two weeks story, I'll say. It's interesting. <laughs> so uh, Sherry takes me to a cocktail party. I talk to his nephew. Mm-hmm. You probably know. I don't know. And... It turns out he works in the engineering department. Okay. And he's telling me I have to write this up and I have to write this up and I have to... I said, wait a minute. That's not how I work. Right. I said, I have to talk to somebody. He said, okay, I'll get back to you in two weeks. Okay. Sure, sure enough, he got back to me in two weeks. He said, I got you an appointment with the marketing manager from Lincoln Mercury. Okay. So I pack up, I fly out, I get there. And the first thing he said to me was, well, you have to sign a paper that if we take any of your ideas, we can use them. Oh, wow. Okay. And I said, well, I got to think about that. So I walked around the block mm-hmm. and I said to myself, nobody but me can make this work. So I'll, I'll sign that. Right. So I went in and I made my presentation. How do you prepare for big presentations like that? Well, when I had Chevway, yeah. I did a lot of work with General Motors. All my, all, all my, I, I do, you'll notice in my room here, mm-hmm. whatever we do, we do on flip charts. Okay. And we hang them around the room. And I have to, I have to have a complete flip tower presentation from beginning to end. And and that's and that's how I, and 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 then and I get my presentation together. So when I go in, I do it with charts. So I made my presentation, and and, and what I'd done, I had showed, I had done some studies that no one else had ever done before, and I showed that people that went to long term financing and bought a car, that the owner loyalty to the factory was only twenty five percent, but the owner owner loyalty to the factory on people on a short term cycle worn out of equity was sixty okay. percent. Okay. And so I said to Ford, I can help you sell more cars more often than the same customer. Right. They weren't selling any cars because they were they were in trouble. The only reason they took my program was they were in trouble. Okay. So he got excited. He took me downstairs to a guy named Bob Rui and the head of Lincoln Mercury Division. I made a presentation to them. They said, okay, we'll get back to you. Two weeks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just two weeks. They go back, made me go around the country and show my idea to dealer groups all over the country. Mm-hmm. That took a year. Okay. And I'm not getting paid. And by the way, I'm not making any money. I, I, when, when, the, when the banks got out of Autovest, that left me high and dry. Okay. So at the end of the year... So you were making a comeback at this point. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm making a real comeback. I'm, I'm, I have no income. I'm down and out. Okay. I'm down and out, believe me, uh, for the second time. 
and I'm still kids in college, still money. Yeah. And I had to take a job while I'm doing all this. I had to take a job working with somebody else, driving a car around a Long Island, calling on dealers like like a dealer yeah. call man yeah. for five thousand dollars a month. Okay. That's what I mean. I'm 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 schlepping around like that. Yeah. On the daytime, and I'm talking to Ford Motor Company on the nighttime. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. So I knew if I could break the Ford contract, I had something big. But meanwhile, I'm talking to a group of salespeople okay. every day. And, and right. anyway. Did anyone ever tell you to give up at that point? Just to everyone told me. All along the on my whole line, people told me to give up. Okay. But the difference was I had a vision. Mm-hmm. I knew I was right. Right. I mean, I knew that the best deal for the customer was what I was presenting. Right. My only problem was getting somebody to finance it that way. Okay. So in my mind, here's how I always worked in my mind. I always knew I was where I was going to go. So I visualized a ship. I'd be mm-hmm. on a boat. And I'm on my way to England. Let's say mm-hmm. I was going to go to England. And someone blows my boat up. I never thought of swimming the shore. I thought of looking for a bigger boat. Right. Well, I'm in England. Yeah. So I look for the next biggest boat. And I get on that boat. Mm-hmm. And I'm on my way and they blow that boat up. Okay. Now I look for a bigger boat. Yeah. I never went backwards. I always went up. Yeah. Okay. And that was always in my head. Never okay. go back. Always go up. Because I did. I, I, you know, so Henry Ford said, you know, I, to me, there was never the word failure in my in my my right. repertoire in any way. But Henry Ford said, "Failure, as most people call it, is the opportunity to do it again with more intelligence." Right. And that's about the way I looked at it. I, I, each time I did it, I learned a lesson, and I did look, what, what blew my boat up. Right. Until next time, I I built that out, so my boat couldn't blow up. Yeah. So I finally got to England. Okay. And uh, that's Ford. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so I get how it. many years did that take from when you started that, that the took idea? me from 1962 to 1982. 20 years? 20 years. Wow. 20 years. It's actually 1980 when I was starting to talk to Ford, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until 82 that I signed a contract. Okay. I saw, that's my Ford story. I saw I got started with Ford. Right. So uh, We went on to 20. I was, I was with Ford from 1982. Uh, to 2000, I okay. sold my company in 2000. So 18 years, and we were in 18 countries. So when like did you that. finally start making money that you were not? Well, I always made money because okay. because when I went to Ford, I said, I'm 50 years of age. Mm-hmm. I don't have time for exercise in my life. I have right. to make I have to make money. Yeah. So I want you to guarantee me that I'll have a 50% profit. Okay. Whatever my costs are, I got a 50% profit. Okay. That's my guarantee. And we put that in writing. And... Uh, so I, I always made money. Right. I mean, I didn't, I didn't make a lot of money. Yeah. Because I was small. As I got bigger, I made more money. You know what I'm saying? Got it. Yeah. But uh, but I always made money. Okay. I think any since one, your partnership with Ford. And my partnership okay. with Ford. Got it. And I think people have to understand in business. Uh, two rules. One's very important. We live in a capitalistic society. If you're in business, you have to make money. Yeah. Now you have to earn the right to make the money. Mm-hmm. And. And the money's made because you get the best value. Mm-hmm. Whoever gives the best value makes money. Okay. And our whole thing was value added. Right. And, and our deal with the, with the dealers, the dealers paid Ford and Ford paid us okay. for our service. Got it. Which means I didn't have to collect from the dealers, I collect from Ford. Yeah. Um, and then in 2000, you sold it. 2000, I sold it. Were you sad to sell it? Like you know, I, I had reasons for selling it mm-hmm. at the time, uh, which were... On my part, I really think really for the good of my people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in hindsight, if you said to me today, was it a good idea to sell your company? I'd say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say I made a major mistake. Uh, but that's in hindsight. Mm-hmm. So 
You made a lot of money though too. In oh yeah, well, yeah. I, well, I, I, well, well, I made I, I, everything's relative. Are you able to say how much you sold it for, or no? Mm-hmm. Are you able to say how much you sold it for in two thousand? Yeah, we sold it for um, a little less than two hundred million, with an earnout to take us over two hundred million. Got it. Okay. But the company was worth, in my mind, mm-hmm. and the, everything's relative how you think about things. Yeah. Uh, I had, I had, we had, pardon me. In our company, we're never allowed to use the word I. I apologize. You mm-hmm. got to pay a five hundred dollars fine if you ever said I. Okay. We had probably three hundred of the greatest training people on earth mm-hmm. because of, we all thought alike, and 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 we really understood how to make things work in mm-hmm. businesses. Which yeah. Which even if you had a business and wanted to hire me or hire somebody to do that, mm-hmm. they couldn't do what half a car could do. Right. Because we went in and made things happen. Right. Uh, but. That's, that's a different yeah. story. So backing up a little bit from when you were running the company, Half a Car, um, can you talk about the art of listening? Because I listened to a podcast recently yes. on a CEO, and he said um, when he would be in meetings, he would jot down DNT, and it means do not talk, right. They're on his notepad, and because he was always trying to listen to his employees. So well, well, I, I, any I, thoughts you have on listening? It's hard. Well, no, it's, it's not. No, it's not. No, I think, I think it's more... You know, I call my hip. I call my principles foundational principles, mm-hmm. but I think we go a little deeper than most people. But we try to go a little deeper. We try to go to the core of everything. Okay. I was like, uh, if you have an acorn, if everything's right in the acorn, you're mm-hmm. a giant oak. If it's not right in the acorn, you're not going to have a giant oak. Mm-hmm. So we'd always have everything right in the acorn. And when you talk about listening, I like to word it the other way around. Uh, I mentioned a human computer. Mm-hmm. The secret of communication is that when you talk, you're transmitting. And let's say I'm on 1050. I'm transmitting on 1050. And the customer's tuned in to 950. Okay. That means he's not getting my wavelength. No. I could talk all day long, mm-hmm. and I'm not getting through. Okay. So I have to make sure that I'm either on 950, okay. or I get the customer on 1050. Mm-hmm. So when you say listening, the secret is you have to know how to ask the customer the right questions to find out, because customers tell you how to sell them. Mm-hmm. They tell you how to sell them. Mm. But we would rehearse ahead of time the kind of questions we're going to ask them, why we're going to ask them, okay. why we were going to ask them. And we rehearse ahead of time what customers were going to say and why they were going to say it. Okay. I mean, and realistic. And we would do it in groups and training, focus groups. Mm. So whenever we were talking to a customer, whether it was a dealer, it was a salesman, or it was our salespeople, the thing that made us successful because we could teach our salespeople that when you say this, the customer's going to say this, and here's why. Okay. And when he says this, and then he's going to say this, and here's why. And you're going to say this, here's why. Because okay. we knew ahead of time, people people are logical and reasonable and looking for value. Mm-hmm. And if you can if you can hit their hot button, whatever that is. Right. So you have to ask questions to find a hot button. So listening, the art of listening is really tied into how you ask the questions. Okay. Asking the right questions. Or, or, no, or knowing, or, 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 or when, they, when, when people talk to you, whatever, whenever you, whenever you're listening, mm-hmm. you know how to properly interpret it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but, no, it does, but, but yeah. on listening, we, 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 we're, we're very, very much on listening. Okay. Uh, you know, they have the old saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Mm-hmm. You heard that, right? But I called 75 25. Okay. I would have my guys talk 25% of the time and listen 75% of the okay. time. Okay. And I yeah. had it down to a formula 25 75. Right. It was only listening that you're, that you're learning. Mm-hmm. The best salesman I ever had, I, my brother Harry called me the phone and said, Eustace, we got this fantastic salesman selling 30 cars a month. Mm-hmm. So I, I was away from the dealership. So I walked in one day to, to, and, and watched this guy. He didn't know who I was. 
and he's sitting in the office in front of the customer and he's not talking. He's looking at the customer. Yeah. He's just looking at him. Finally, the customer after a while says, Ted, the customer starts questioning him. Yeah. Fred, Fred, Fred. Right, yeah, right. You know, he was just like the customer talk, talk. And he never yeah. talked. Right. So a good salesman is not, you know, they say a good salesman should be a good talker. A good salesman is a good listener and a good solve the needs and wants of the customer. Okay. You have to know the needs and wants of the customer. Okay. I'm going to a general electric present, uh, sales training school one year. And the guy went to the board. And he said, when customers come into your life in a store or a business, they're coming into an atmosphere. And they're coming in with three images. They're coming with the image of what they want you to think they are. Okay. They come with the image of what they think of themselves. And they have another image of what they really want to be. That sounds a little deep, he would say, but mm. he laid that down. He said, yeah. now the second thing is when they come in, they have wants and they needs. There's two kinds of needs. There's product need and there's ego need. Okay. He said, now you have to be aware of which is the most important need. Right. Now there's also wants. Now wants aren't needs. Mm. Like a, you might want a station wagon nine passenger with all the bells and whistles. Yeah. But what you really need is a nine passenger. Okay. Don't need the bells and whistles. Right. He said, now the ego part of it, you know, why does someone drive around and I'll pick on your father? Why do you drive around in Mercedes? Right. I mean, I can give you a Ford that'll keep you just as dry. Mm-hmm. The air works just as good. Yeah. They have a better phone, phone system and such and such. Yeah. There's an ego thing to that. Okay. Yeah, we can all talk about blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but so if I was, so you have to know whether you're selling to the ego. Okay. So when you're listening, mm-hmm. you have to know what you're listening for. Okay. So that's, so that's how you have to train people. What, what am I listening for? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you analyze it. And, and of course, they always told a story which I love. Because you, you had the first column, you had... Here's the attitude and here's the climate people are walking into. The second column was the different needs and what's their hot button. Okay. And the third column was rejection. Oh, I had to talk to my wife. I got to talk to my accountant. I want to think about it. Da, okay. da, da. So I told the story about a woman who got up one morning in the kitchen with all the dishes and her husband. And she gets a phone call from her girlfriend. And she hangs the phone up and the, and the, and the husband, who was that? Well, that was Nancy. She wants to buy a fur coat and wants me to go with her. Yeah. You can't afford a fur coat. Don't you go think of a fur coat? She said, I'm just going to go with her. So she goes with Nancy to get the fur coat. Mm-hmm. And some smart sales lady sees her standing in the corner and says, why don't you try one on? No, 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 no. Just try one on. I know you're yeah. not going to buy one. So she tries the fur coat on. And the sales lady said, oh, my God. I've never seen such a transformation in a woman in my life. Mm-hmm. I can see you now in your home, dishes in the sink. You go upstairs and put that fur coat on. You look in the mirror and it's just, you just... Gives you security. Right. Make a long story short, she bought the fur coat. Right. And didn't care about the husband. Right, right, right. That was a big sales story. Big that sales story, yeah. yeah. Didn't go over code. Yeah. Um, and then a couple other questions you want to ask too is dealing with people. So, you know, I'm at the age where you might have confrontations with people at work. So right. How do you deal with confrontations? Either personally or with someone at work. Do you have any advice on how to deal with that? Well, the advice I give is that you always want a result in what you do, right? Mm. Like one of our cards is, our, our main cards is you want a result. So you have to be analytical. If someone has a problem, mm. is it a real problem? Is it an attitude problem? Is it a feeling problem? What kind of problem is it? Okay. Uh, to them, it's a real problem. Yeah. But so what you want to do is, I don't want to just say, if, if I really want to help them, Mm-hmm. I want to sit down and hear about their problem. I want to, and I want to ask some questions. Okay. Well, why does that bother you? Or why okay. does this bother you? And, and we want to 
actually be able to put down on paper what their problem is, mm-hmm. right? Get it out of their head. Okay. Because the problem, problem in life is that you get something in your head. You think you see it clearly, or it's a problem all jumbled up, okay. but it's in your head. And I think most people know this, but until you get it out of your head, mm-hmm. you've got to get it out of your head. So, so okay. we make them write it down. And then, then, and then you try and give them good advice okay. on, on, on how to handle it. If it's a real problem, uh, you try and find some way to really help them. Okay. But, you know, it could be, let's say a guy owes a lot of money to a bank or a credit card. Okay. Uh, and it's driving crazy, right? And so you sit down, you, you get to get, get on paper what the credit card problem is. Mm-hmm. Now I say, here's the problem. Now we have to look for a solution. Yeah. Now, what are the possible solutions? Right. We go back and talk to the bank. And we lay out the card. We say, look. I'm laying awake at night. I'm yeah. worried about this thing, but right. I still can't pay. Can I work out? Pay? Can I work out a program with you to pay it? Right. Well, they're going to love you because at least you're trying to work it out. Yeah. You know, they're used to those problems. You think you're the only one. They got a hundred of them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Right. Right. So what? What usually airing your problem with a third party, if it's somebody's really interested in helping you, mm-hmm. is always a good idea. Okay. And the idea is to get it on paper. Get on paper. Okay. Uh, that's probably not a good answer to. No, you I like that. Okay. That's perfect. Um, and then talking about family a little bit, because a lot of people that are tuning in right. between the ages of 25 and 35, so right. they're just starting to have families. And a lot of people my age are afraid to start a family right. for financial purposes. Right. So what advice would you give to them? Because obviously you started out with, with nothing. I started out with absolutely nothing. I was, mm-hmm. I was making, my uncle was paying a hundred hours a week, uh, which back then was probably worth 500 hours a week today. Mm-hmm. I'd been taught by my mother that God would take care of me in my life. Mm-hmm. So I'd never, ever, ever, I have one of my cards says, don't play God. And I'm never going to play God like I have the answer. Mm-hmm. I can tell anybody young, you never know what lies ahead. Mm-hmm. But somehow, when you're in a situation, let's say you have five children, mm-hmm. The fact that you have the five children is going to help you move in the areas you would not have moved into if you hadn't had five children. Okay. And you're going to solve those problems. Right. But you never have to worry because, and with a big family, mm-hmm. so many good things happen mm-hmm. where, they, where they take care of each other. Okay. Where they, where they go out and get jobs. It, a lot of good things can happen mm-hmm. when you have a big family. Okay. But I would never, I'd never not have a family because I worry about the money. About now, I know okay. that I know that's not advice people are going to take because that's something we have to, you have to believe is true. But I'm 85 now and I can look mm-hmm. back Yeah. and I've watched it in lots of lives. And I can tell you with absolute certainty, not only can you work them out, but sometimes your most creative person in your life is going to be your fifth child. Okay. You know, I used to watch my grandmother. Yeah. My grandmother had a big family and I was a young right. kid watching her. I watched all these grandkids and I watched all the different situations. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, I want that. You know, right. I want that. Um, uh, and now I'm older, I really appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I mean, everything in life has a plus and a minus. Mm-hmm. A lot right. of children, a lot of problems. Right, right. You know yeah, yeah. But, but also, a lot of life. Right. So, you know, I was reading something uh, just, just today. You can never stop living here on Earth. Mm-hmm. And looking for a safe haven is not a way to live. Okay. Okay? Right. And there's no fun in that. Yeah. And, it's, and, and like you heard me, my two-week things, mm-hmm. I was broke twice. Okay. And, and then that dealer, that, that dealer, that, uh, um, uh, that Bob Tasker. Right. You know, that two-week period, that, two pre- that dealer died. Everything in my life has happened in two weeks. Two weeks things yeah. I never thought would happen. Right. But things, I think 
things ha- you 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 create. I see life as electricity, mm-hmm. and 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 as and, and and energy is a generator. And when you when you have when you have the extra family, you have the extra needs. That that gets your generator revved up a little bit more, you know. Right. And that and those things go out. Right. Right. And uh, and it, it just works. Yeah. It just works. That's not a good answer. I know no, that. No, no, it's works. great. <laughs> I agree. And then what about if people are, because again, it's the ages of 25 to 35, if they're working on a dream or a vision or at work and um, they're having a tough time getting started, right. what advice would you give them to keep moving forward? Well, of course. And to avoid the naysayers because yeah, they're yeah. everywhere. Well, first of all, you know, I don't want to just give, you, be, give a lot of cliche statements, but you got to believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you believe in what you're doing, it's going to happen. Number two, when you get naysayers, 95% of the people will tell you, when any idea you have, it's not going to work. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it's because people can't, like when they, if you had said to people 35 years ago, we're going to give you a cell phone mm-hmm. that can do this and do this and do that. Right. Would you like that? They, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, but exactly. you could see it. Steve Jobs saw it clearly, mm-hmm. but no one else saw it. Yeah. When they came out with the minivan, the first time they designed a minivan. Okay. That sounds like a, that doesn't sound like a big deal today, but that yeah. was that was a mystery. Right. So the people, would you like a minivan? People said, No, I don't want a minivan. I love. It. You you see something, and when you see something, don't be upset because no one else sees it. Okay. What you have to understand is that earlier I said eighty percent of people's thinking and attitudes and feelings, twenty percent facts. Mm-hmm. Blind spots. People that aren't familiar with what you're talking about have blind spots. Okay. And and everybody's going to play God. They're all going to tell you why it won't work. Okay. Okay. So you you, you hear things like perseverance. Winston Churchill said, "Never, never, never, never yeah. quit." Right. And that's only true. The never, never, never quit. Okay. When you have a good realistic sense of what you're doing, it makes sense. Right. If it doesn't make sense, don't be afraid to walk away from it. Yeah. You know what I'm the other thing is so important, though. Is experience. Okay. Whatever job you're doing, mm-hmm. whatever it is, that experience is going to pay off for you someday. Right. Okay. I, I, I can't, in my own life, I look back and I think, uh, whether it was washing dishes, whether it was going to the auctions, uh, whether it was being a maitre d' at the hotel, mm-hmm. whether it was, uh, you know, uh, managing my little car dealership, mm-hmm. uh, worrying about how to get dealers to understand my idea, whatever, whatever I had to do, yeah. uh, go on the banks. All my experience and other things helped me solve that problem. Okay. Like experience, it just always works for right. you. Right. You know? That's not a good analogy. No, that was good. Yeah. good. yeah. And how, on timing wise, are we okay right now? Which one? Are we okay with timing? Oh, I'm, I'm, you're the boss. Okay. <laughs> well, a couple more questions too. So the one last thing I want to ask you too is that um, how you've dealt with uh, losing loved ones. Because that's something I talk about, like overcoming adversity. Um, how to do it? How you've dealt with um, losing loved ones. Losing loved ones. Yeah. Aunt Marty's talked about it a little bit, and in some yeah. of my other interviews, they've talked about it too. So, if a listener that's tuning in has just lost a loved one, right. what advice would you give to them? Well, first, I say that when when you have a loss, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. If it's not logical, you can't reason mm-hmm. with it, you can't rationalize with it. It's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But what helped me? I I read a, uh, a quotation. It said, "Gratitude." Makes the turns the pangs of memory into tranquil joy. Gratitude turns the pangs of memory into tranquil joy, mm-hmm. and that really helped me mm-hmm. because we all know that when you have a loss, it's your loss. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not the loss of the person who went. Mm-hmm. It's your loss. Right. And when you have, when you take the memories and think back of all the wonderful things and the, and the great things, it's amazing how it can uh, diffuse the sadness mm-hmm. that you might have. You know, yeah. think all of a sudden you're grateful that you mm-hmm. had what you had, right? And not so much focus on what you lost. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that helped me more than anything. So how did you practice it? Do you write it down or? Well, I would just say that. Well, I would just. Or you say to yourself. No, I would just think think that way. Yeah. I would just think, what do I have to be grateful for? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, maybe I'm really sad. I hear a song, or you know. Mm-hmm. Whatever, there's a hundred triggers yeah, that can yeah. bring on your, your sadness. Right. But I just I just go back to that statement. Mm-hmm. I, I'd focus on things to be grateful yeah. grateful about. Right. It's amazing. It's, of all the things that I've, I've read, all kinds of things on how to overcome grief. When you're in a state of grief, mm-hmm. uh, no words are going to help you really. Right. I mean, they might help you. People say it helps if you listen. Okay. If you let people let you talk about it, you know, yeah. that helps you. I guess just unload it. Definitely. But but. Uh, the real help, you know, when you're off in a corner by yourself alone, mm-hmm. it's gratitude. Yeah. I agree with that. I talk about gratitude a lot. Right. And so, like, every night I write down 10 things I'm grateful for. Right. And yeah. it helps just with the days. It makes the days better. Yep. So, thankfully, I haven't lost anyone super close, but I'm training myself it's, it's to practice gratitude. It's a good formula. <laughs> yeah. It's a great formula. Yeah. Yeah, my sister Peg was big on that. Yeah. So every day, write down four things you're grateful for. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. It's, it, you know, it's amazing. You have a real problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we all know it's not a real problem mm-hmm. when you compare it to someone else's problem, right? Right, exactly. What was, it, what was the old saying? They said, throw your problems throw in the gutter. Problems. You'd always take your own back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Okay. So, um, I think that's everything. Is there any last words you want to say? Oh, I have one more that you might want to give out that I always ask people. What's that? And this is a selfish question, but what advice would you give to your 30 year 30-year-old self. I'm 30. I never thought of that. I've thought about liking to be 30 with my 85-year-old head. Yeah. I thought about that. I'd like to be 30 and I know how to think like I do now. Uh, I guess the 30, you know, life is always, always look at life in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Always be positive. Neg- negative energy is, I'd like to say people, energy, God gave us in life, he gave mm-hmm. us time and he gave us energy. Mm-hmm. And the time is limited. Okay. If you look at your father's tombstone, it says "Bubba Dash." Time is limited, <laughs> and and the uh, uh, but the but the energy mm-hmm. you're not always going to have it. Mm-hmm. So when you do have it, yeah, it's like a battery. Negative energy drains you. Okay. Positive energy keys you up. Right. Don't ever allow negative energy of any way, shape, or form. Don't even say things negative. Okay. If you're if you're going to say something negative, turn it around to positive. Okay. Even if you say a negative thing, if, even if it's negative in a positive way. Right. You know right. What I'm yeah. But always make it positive. Okay. I think that's key. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, at 30, uh, I love to tell people, I tell all my grandchildren, I sent them, I sent them a book, I call it The Playbook. How many do you have? 33. 33, okay. I sent them a book called The Playbook. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is the Bible. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, don't look at this as a religious book. Forget that. Look yeah. at this as a playbook. Yeah. I said, because if you read the Psalms, you read the book of Sarah, Ecclesiasticus, you read some of the Gospels, there's lessons in there. Right. And they're going to tell you how to, you'll have no problem in life. I'm telling you, none. There's so many things are going to happen in your life. Okay. And so many situations you have to make a quick judgment on. And if you have that spiritual grounding, yeah. it's not a hard judgment. Okay. And, and, and the right answers are, you'll, you'll take the right answers the right path. Right, right. Okay, so. And then one last one too. 
If you could give one book to every person you met, what would it be? The Bible. The Bible? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's the best self-help book ever designed. Yeah. Every time you read a self-help book, it's nothing more than giving some a, a, giving a twist of a modern-day story on, yeah. on a gospel principle. Yeah. So, no, the Bible. The Bible. Be the only book ever. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right, that was good news. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success. Or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.